They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. This is part one of my interview with Ryan Morrison, writer, editor, and executive producer of the film Arctic. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Shooting the Shit with Chippa. This is episode four, and um, I've been hyping this a little bit, but uh, trying not to um, to completely uh, go crazy. But uh, tonight I have my first guest from, from Hollywood, my first guest that makes movies and has made a movie that if you're lucky enough to uh, be in one of, uh, I think, the 200, 250 screens that it's playing on, you've either seen or will get to see um, the film that my friend here made. So um, my guest tonight is Ryan Morrison. Um, he's the writer, editor, and executive producer of the film Arctic, um, which is in theaters now. It stars Mads Mikkelsen, and I'm going to botch this name so Ryan can help me, and Maria Thelmer Smartator? Smartator. Smartator. I have, I have a, my company works in Iceland a lot, and um, I, still can't, I still can't handle the names. I can't get them right. <laughs> but no, that's awesome. She, she was great, too, so we can talk about that, too. Um, the film's in theaters now, like I said. It's playing. Is it still in over 200 theaters, Ryan? Uh, yeah, we actually hit 300. Um, and then I, I think now they'll probably start pulling it. It's been in a, a few theaters for about a month, so they'll start, uh, they'll start um, dropping now. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, um, if, if you are listening to this podcast and haven't seen the movie, um, I'm sure we'll get into spoilers. So I'll say spoiler alert to start it up. Um, please get out and see it if you can. And if not, when it um, is available to stream or buy, um, please support it. It's, it's a hell of a movie, and I'm not just saying that because um, I know the guy that uh, made the majority of it. Um, so a little background um, before we get into uh, this, just full disclosure. Um, how, how did I get a guest like this? Well, Ryan and I grew up in Lynn, Massachusetts, where I still live, uh, a large city just north of Boston. Um, we both attended Sacred Heart School, a Catholic elementary school in Lynn. Uh, Ryan was a year behind me. Our group of friends spanned both years. So pretty much everyone I hung out with hung out with the year before. So there's only about 25 or 30 kids in each class anyway. And we spent the majority of our time hanging out at my neighbor Carrie's house, lived right across the street from me, goofing around on a giant trampoline and listening to, uh, the best of the mid to late nineties pop songs. It sounded like the Captain Marvel soundtrack back there. Um, <laughs> Dave Matthews Band, Hanson, Aqua, Spice Girls, you know, just, just to embarrass us a little bit more. Um, and Ryan and I crossed paths again. I, I left from 7th to ninth grade and went to a Catholic high school and um, then ended up getting out of there, thankfully, and ended up in 10th grade at Lynn Classical. And then Ryan and I uh, crossed paths again. But after high school, I lost touch. Um, you know, Facebook eventually keeps us all together. But uh, I figured I'd begin our discussion with catching up and figuring out, you know, how do we go from Lynn, Massachusetts to Arctic, Ryan? Oh, uh, I had one one small correction. You said this is I'm a uh, I'm a um, a guest from Hollywood, and I am a guest from Lynn through and yeah. through all day, all day. Um, yeah, no, uh, I I've been in LA for about seven years, um, and uh, I lived in lived and grew up in Lynn my entire life. Uh, even after high school, I went to college at UMass Amherst. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, I, was, I wasn't sure if college it ended up being a, a West Coast thing. Uh, yeah, no, I went to uh, I went to UMass Amherst, and um, and then uh, I pretty much exhausted every every class that they had for uh, film and television, either production or history 
all of that stuff. Um, I just I, that's I got my start in in video um, when I was twelve uh, in, on the trampoline in the backyard, uh, just like kind of just like you were just talking about, and uh, and making funny videos with my friends and um, and just playing around that was that was kind of what I got hooked on and I just couldn't I couldn't stop and we started making videos for you know oh if there's a bake sale at school that's an excuse to make a video yeah let's put a video up on the on the morning announcements and uh, I used to go to school early so that I could work at the school news um, so that I could run camera or do the switching or whatever um, I used to love that stuff uh, so I was doing that. I mean, we didn't have the kinds of technology that you have now at the time. Uh, we didn't have phones or, you know, laptops that were super accessible to be able to do video editing. So, um, you know, we kind of just had to use whatever resources we had. I used, uh, LinCam, uh, which is a, a local, um, public access, uh, opportunity for, for, you know, it doesn't have to be kids. It can be for anybody that wants to, uh, just learn how to use equipment and, and go out and shoot something. Uh, so I did that for a while, and then uh, I went to UMass. I I did as much as I could in terms of what they had to offer for for classes, and then I got into the game, uh, the real world uh, game uh, after after college, and I was just grinding, uh, doing. It was two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and there was just not a job, not a job in in sight to be had. Uh, it was it was a pretty brutal market, and uh, you had to learn how to do everything you you couldn't just be like oh i'm just going to try to survive off of an editor's uh as a freelance editor uh, right you had, to, you, you had to be able to be like oh you know what this job requires motion graphics yeah i can do that and then you take the job and then you're looking at tutorials online while you're trying to figure out how to do the job um oh. and uh that's actually where i met joe penna my my writing partner um in uh, i met him at a job outside of boston and we always say if you took all of the creative minds in Hollywood and tried to concoct the most uh, ironically awful torture job for a creative person, um, you would come up with the job that we ended up that we ended up meeting at, which was uh, we were editing medical DVDs uh, back <laughs> oh my God. back in Boston. Yeah, um, and it was just utterly, and it wasn't just medical DVDs; it was the same medical DVD every day. It was. It was supposed to be like a custom medical DVD that, like, it had your doctor on it. So we were getting doctors from all over the country. You know, videographers were had these doctors read this script, and we had to edit the same exact thing over and over and over again. And it was ironic torture because I love editing, and uh, and I hated, I hated that job so so much. Um, My my buddy Mike, um, for for a quick aside to add to that, he was in sound recording technology, and mm. he says if you if you ever want to end up hating something you love, <laughs> pick a song for like a final project in sound recording technology because what they made them do is break down and separate the master tracks and re-edit. And he goes, I listened to Hey Jude mm. by the Beatles so many times that if that some song comes on the radio i get ptsd and start shaking for for me it was uh for me it was here comes the sun i had to do a, a promo video for this uh festival and oh. they had different oh. people sing here comes the sun no one singing it on the same tempo or in the same key 
and then I had to cut them all together to make it as if it was one song, and it was an absolute nightmare. Um, that was those are the good days. You're bringing back a lot of good memories from uh, from my freelance day, my freelance days. Oh yeah, man. I, I mean, have you ever uh, have you stayed in touch with Melanie Patton? She's... Um, I, Facebook keeps as as you said. Facebook keeps us all uh, us all in touch that yeah. way. After I saw, you know, or after after we made this happen, I was thinking about getting in touch with her. She she works local, but she's been on tons of um tons of you know. I I I think she's like in the lower ranks, you know, like the key grips and the thing. You're just mm. you know running the gamut, right? <laughs> Moving yeah. the way up. But she's been on a whole. I, I think um Joy, which they filmed oh, nice. in stuff like that. Yeah, but it, just another cool aside. So. So you met Joe, you were editing medical DVDs. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I met Joe, we were editing medical DVDs. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare, and we'd always sit at lunch and talk about, like, someday, man, someday we're going to get out of here. And, uh, and, you know, and Joe, this is around 2007, um, and Joe had started a YouTube channel, and this was before YouTube was just, like, deeply embedded in the culture. And, right. uh, and, and it was just like this funny sounding website and, uh, and he started getting some, some following on it and, uh, started being able to, he won a few contests here and there. And, um, it was an opportunity for him to be able to start making some money. So, uh, he ended up moving out to LA and I ended up getting a job at a, a commercial, uh, production company in, in Boston. And, um, and I would just kind of sit at my editing suite in in Boston, and I would see, um, I'd see all these awesome YouTube videos that Joe was doing, and he was getting you know millions of views, and he was making a living doing it. And I was cutting commercials, which again, uh, it's a great way to make a living, but there's not a whole lot of creativity that goes involved goes into okay. cutting a commercial. You know, if you're cutting a commercial for a sandwich shop, you know they they they're talking about a turkey sub you show a turkey sub like that's that's mm -hmm. you know and it's and it's and it's not going to be a very good looking turkey sub because you didn't get to film it no <laughs> yeah so it just is like you know it's it, it it's a job so um so i did that as as much as i could uh and then i came out to la for joe's wedding and saw what his life was like, and I fell in love with it. Um, it was just like I was so proud of him, but also oh, like so jealous. honest, super jealous, so jealous. Um, but I was really, really proud of him. And uh, and then an opportunity came about for me to um, start documenting uh, the uh, the stuff that Joe was doing. His his company was growing, and he needed someone to shoot behind the scenes. Um, and that was something oh, that I had, oh, I had a lot of experience. A, a cool gig. Yeah, it's a, it's a very cool gig. I had done a lot of that for the Celtics and, um, and I was looking for an excuse and I was in a point in my life where I was like, I'm either going to be a company man here and I'm going to try to make my career and try to get the big clients, the Dunkin' Donuts, the subways of the, of the area, or, um, I can go and take a job for less money. I don't know anyone out there other than Joe. And I will not have health insurance or a place to live. And I talked to my family and um, my dad actually kind of uh, pushed me over the edge and was like, um, you know, I, I can always come home. That was what he said. And he said, you can always come home. Um, but if you don't go and you don't try, I, you'll, you'll regret it. And right, I was terrified. If you don't go and you don't try, then you never did. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was scared. I was scared as hell. Um, but I sold my car, quit my job, and I left a week later because uh, they needed someone quickly. Uh, so uh, there was not a lot of time to make any de- decisions. And uh, I took off and I and I started um, documenting what Joe was doing. Um, and, and for those of you that don't know what the, the, the channel is like, uh, it's called Mystery Guitar Man. And um, we've got uh, just under 3 million subscribers and uh, about 400 million um, video views. And, um, and we do a lot of crazy editing, very musical, um, a lot of animation, a lot of stop motion. And you don't need to speak English to understand what it is. And I think that's what gives us such a great um, international appeal. Right. Because um, Joe's from Brazil. Uh, so I was documenting how he was making these videos, but I also... You know, every time I would see him working on something and I knew how to do it maybe easier or there might be a better way to do what he was doing, I'd always kind of just chime in. And I and I just pretty quickly went from documenting it to participating. And um, Joe's a great partner because he, he just respects a good idea. He doesn't care where it came from. There's no ego involved uh, with working with him. So... Um, you know, it, it wasn't like, oh, you're the behind-the-scenes guy. You should just be filming us figuring right. it out. Yeah, yeah. Stay, stay here. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got no... someone else do that job. Yeah, there was no stay in your stay in your lane uh, kind of mentality, and um, and it wasn't long before I just became his his go-to editor, um, and I was doing all the visual effects for the for the channel, and then we just hired someone else to uh, to document what we were doing, and. Uh, and then we wanted to start telling bigger stories and we wanted to start doing some narrative stuff. Uh, and we made a few short films uh, and we wrote them together. We found that we had very complementary uh, way of looking at the world. You know, we, there's a lot of common ground that we have, but there are also some strengths that he has and some strengths that I have that we both bring to the table together um, that may be different from each other, but we have this alchemy and this you know, we've been doing it together now for seven years. So, um, you know, we've got our own secret language and, um, you know, we started doing some short films and having the, the channel as a place to, uh, you know, be as a platform to get those out into the world, uh, was really, really helpful. And, um, it's funny cause the channel did not <laughs> have any effect in us getting, uh, getting Arctic off the ground. Um, that oh, was really, yeah, um, it's funny because you would think uh, a lot of times our our agency or our managers or you know people that are kind of working in the business, they'll look at the channel and the channel is very spastic and very crazy. If you were to look at the channel and then look at Arctic, you'd be like, how did the same people make this these two things? Because Arctic is very slow and stark and really heavy, and I'd the focus. channel is <laughs> yeah, and the channel is super like ADD it's done in two minutes and it's just crazy um and we just happened to uh we happened to run into a friend that knew some producers that had ties to Iceland and we had just Joe and I had just written the script together uh and you know that was the fresh topic on our minds so when asked oh what are you up to um we said oh we just wrote this script and then she asked if she could um, show it to her producer friend that had connections to Iceland. And uh, this one guy had connections both to the produ- production company in Iceland, to a finance company here uh, in Los Angeles, and to an executive producer that knew um, Mads Mikkelsen, who was in, um, who was in um, Hannibal. 
And uh, it was just like this crazy coincidence that, um, you know, the, the we gave them the script and every it seemed that everybody that read the script, it just kind of hit the sweet spot and everybody liked it. And it's it's weird because it's a it's an unusual movie. Um, there's not a whole lot of dialogue and it feels like it's a hard sell uh, to, to get someone to want to put uh, some some money behind. It seems like an easy decision in retrospect when you have you know, Mads Mikkelsen, like, top-tier performer uh, doing it. But when you're just trying to sell it with words on the page, it, it, it I thought it would be a lot harder of a sell. But um, we got a lot of support right off the bat uh, based on what we had on the page. That's awesome. So uh, you, you talked about writing it. Uh, what, what was the inspiration for the script? Uh, the inspiration for the script was... We had written another script, <laughs> and um, we had taken it around town, and uh, it was too expensive. We had never made a first um, a movie before, and nobody wanted to spend $15 million on a first-timer. You know, nobody wanted to risk that. Um, and Joe and I kind of set out when writing it that we knew he was going to direct, and um, and I was going to edit and produce. And, uh, you know, it's it, we have no leverage in that world. If we were going to try to make a YouTube thing, that's a different story. But um, right, yeah. So, um, so we went out and we brought this script around town, and it just seemed too steep for, for people to want to take a chance on us. And that's um, that totally makes sense. Uh, so we were like, okay, well, we got to write something a little bit smaller uh, and something that'll be um, you know more realistic for us to produce. And we started thinking about. What is universal? What is something that everybody can relate to? Um, because we always kind of look at the channel like that, too. How can people understand what this is without using dialogue? Um, and survival was one of the, was like this, everybody understands what that is. Um, everybody's got to eat. Everybody gets cold. Everybody gets hot. You know, we understood what that was. And Joe had um, seen a fake movie poster on Reddit um, for... A movie called On Mars, and it was just not a real poster. It was just a subreddit for people that made, fic you know, fictitious uh, movie posters. Right, uh, right, right. So we, uh, so we started, uh, we started kind of messing around, looking at that image, and and joking, and then started getting more serious about, you know, what story would actually take place that would warrant this poster. And we we ended up coming up with a story that was very, very, very similar uh, to what Arctic is. Um, and we pitched it to our agency and they were very supportive, but also were like, Hey, you guys should check out this trailer for a movie that's coming out soon. Um, that Ridley Scott is making with, uh, Matt Damon and it's called the Martian. And, uh, it's a survival tale on Mars that was very, very similar to what we had written. So, and it was Matt Damon and Ridley Scott. How are you going to compete with that? So... <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, so we took that in stride, and we said, okay, well, let's let's go back. We don't have to go back to the drawing board. Let's let's try to move it. And um, and Joe is Brazilian, and uh, he hates the cold. And I'm from the Boston area, and I love the cold. So my first instinct was to go somewhere cold. Um, I felt like that'd be an awesome backdrop for for the story that we knew we wanted to tell. And I Googled some images of Iceland because that was what came in my head right away. And uh, Iceland in the winter is an unbeatable landscape. Um, it's just it's just an incredible, uh, incredible looking place. It's it doesn't it looks beautiful and terrifying at the same time. Right. It ends up being, uh, you know, a, 
an equally as powerful, you know, second character to the foil to Mads, right? Movie. It's yeah. just like, it, it's weird when scenery can be a character, right? It doesn't happen often. And, yeah. Um, man. <laughs> yeah, we we went out we went out of our way because we said uh, Joe and I don't really like we call them mush, mustache twirling villains. Uh, we don't like bad guys that are are bad just to be bad. Uh, we like them right. to kind of ha- either uh, have a good point or to have there not be a bad guy. Maybe the the antagonist is the situation, um, and uh, and that's what we went with for for Arctic, and that's what um, that's what Iceland Iceland so graciously gave us. Um, was this uh, this very brutal, brutal environment. And uh, what's actually funny is that, uh, you know, it's a movie called Arctic. It's supposed to be man against the elements. It's supposed to be cold. It's supposed to be icy and snowy. And we flew out to Iceland um, right as we were about to shoot, and there was no snow. It was <laughs> completely, completely barren. And we're like, what's going on? So we talked to some of our locals, and they said, oh, it's, it's been the driest winter that Iceland has ever had. And that was super problematic for, for us, because we didn't have enough money to go chase the snow somewhere else. Um, so we were freaking out, and about three days before we were supposed to start shooting, um, Iceland had the highest recorded um, snowfall in Iceland's history in one day. And it was uh, three feet of snow, so Iceland smi- smiled upon us to give us a to give us a, a a second chance at being able to to make this movie. Wow, that's nuts. So, so the the script, you know, changed locale. How much of um, how much of the script as it was written, um, you know, I I, I love the way the movie kind of just drops you into his situation. Mm. You know, so so many disaster movies or movies of survival feel they need to have a ton of backstory, you know, like a guy getting on a plane and, you know, having like a letter from his wife and, you know, he's been away for a while and he has to come home. And and I love that the movie dumps you into his situation, goes through his day to day of how he's surviving. And then the reveal as the story's going along and he's trying to, you know, get to safety with the uh, with um, the lady who's been horribly mangled in that accident mm-hmm. um you realize that that's not even his crash site right yeah the, there's he gets back to like the first place or maybe the first place he was at and i love that the movie only gives you glimpses of like who he was and where he's coming from and that makes the character stronger in my opinion um rather than you know having it fully spelled out for you and kind of seeing him in the world he was in before he got there you know it, it makes it very universal like you said and, and the fact that you know, English isn't even his first language. You know, you you hear him kind of when he's like talking to himself a couple of times in you know a completely other language. And it, it's it. I just found that cool. How much of that was you know one hundred percent your vision of the script? Did Mads add anything to that? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so there the bones of it was it, it was similar, uh, very very similar uh, from when it was when it when it took place on Mars. A lot of it, a lot of the. You know, there's the 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 impasse at the at the big hill that he has to try to pull the the girl over. Um, That was part of it. Um, There were other things. I don't want to spoil anything quite yet, but there are other things that wouldn't necessarily be on Mars that could only exist in the Arctic. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) 
that was that was something that um, some some of our producers, uh, you know, lended their their uh, suggestions on the on the script part, uh, where they'd be like, oh, you know, I feel like we could use a little bit more excitement around this part of the story, and then you know, Joe and I, now that we had a better sense of what the movie was going to be, knowing where it was going to be, um, we could we could adjust. Uh, but then, uh, as far as uh, Overgard's character, um, he was always supposed to be an outline of a man. Uh, he was supposed to be someone that people could pour their own uh, their own backstory into. Right. And we wanted to give we wanted to give we wanted to hint at stuff. But um, when it's important with a movie that's as quiet as this movie is, um, as far as dialogue is concerned, that you need to make the you have to create these things we call little mysteries. Um, and you have to make the audience lean in because if it's a lean back, just watch things happen kind of situation, you're going to get bored. Um, if nobody's talking, yeah, you're, you're going to, it's going to lose you. And, and even, even with, um, you know, this approach, there are some people that it's not for everybody. Um, but we felt like, uh, making him an outline was, was the best way to go. And then once we spoke with Mads, I mean, we didn't even have any idea that Mads would be interested in doing this. Um, he, we thought he was, you know, too, he's too big for this. Uh, you go, a, a lot of people recognize his face. They say, oh, Casino Royale um, or, uh, you know, Doctor Strange. Um, but they don't necessarily know his name in America. In everywhere else, he is a huge, enormous star. Uh, oh, we, yeah. didn't think we, we didn't think that we were going to be able to get him. And, and then he brought such beautiful insight to the character and he really magnified uh, what we had on the page. So he got it. Like he understood, uh, we don't want to know. We don't want to know these things. He kept calling it memory lane. He was like, we don't want to go down memory lane. It's important that we we're we're in the moment. And, um, and you had mentioned earlier, you know, starting just dropping you in, um, it, you know, making the choice to just drop someone in, uh, as an audience in on, on somebody that it, it kind of is in media res, but it's, it's not because, we're establishing that this is his 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 life. You know, usually in the first, you know, ten minutes of a movie, you're just trying to establish what someone's life is. His life just happens. The store, our story starts after the crash. Yes. Um And and what's important too there is that the idea that um, we all have this glossary of knowledge. We've seen it in other movies, and we've seen it done really well. And that's not to say that it shouldn't be in other movies. It it it, it should be. It has been. And other movies uh, for a reason because those movies it, w- it was warranted um, in in Castaway, which is a huge um, hu- huge influence on this, and um, and in you know All Is Lost, you know we we see yeah. when when things go wrong um, because that's where that movie and that's where that story starts. Um, but our story starts after that. Uh, because we've seen that already, and we know what that looks like. So then you can just imagine, oh, and then people start wondering, well, how long has he been there? You know, um, we see that giant SOS, and it's enormous, and then we see it from far away, and it's still just another speck. Um, yeah. and, we're one, and we're wondering, how long has this guy been there? Um, and is he going to, I don't know if he's going to get out of there with that sign. Um, you know, so I, we felt like that was a, a a choice. That was something that we we had written in. It wasn't like, oh, we wrote in a, a plane crash and then couldn't afford to shoot it. Um, we had written it in that way, and that was actually one of the deciding factors that made Mads really interested in doing it. He was like, oh, well, you know, this is different. You know, we were trying to do something different. Uh, so that's a very long-winded way of of answering your question. 
it is it is different. It like you said, it's a very familiar genre. It's very universal, mm-hmm. right? But there's not. The way you've described writing it and the way you've described it, you know, as being something that could almost be dropped into any survival situation really rings through because it's a very unique feeling movie, even though you've been there, done that. Like in my Mm. mind, I'm going, okay, I probably know where this is going. And instead of me caring necessarily that I probably knew where it was going and what was going to happen. I cared more about the exact moment. Like you said, when he comes to that impasse and he has to carry the girl up the hill, you're 100% there with him, right? There's, you're not thinking about what came before and what came after. You're only thinking about, I'm watching, you know, a person in desperation, you know, trying, trying to deal with this. And, you know, the, the, there's just so much nuance to that. Um, like you said, little, little tiny ideas like the, I absolutely loved and almost got emotional in the theater. And that's, you know, a hard thing to do with a movie with such little dialogue and such little backstory. When he first brings the girl from the plane crash from the, you know, uh, the helicopter that was going to save them mm-hmm. into his, to his little camp. And he's, you know, got her kind of in stasis, got the bed ready for her. And before he puts her down in the bed, he gives her a hug and has this look on his like human contact. Like mm-hmm. I haven't had this and it, it's, it's like, this is a moment just for me. And instead of that being like kind of weird or creepy, you mm-hmm. completely get why he needs that hug. Yeah. Right. And like, yeah. you don't it's just the, the eyes, the facial expression, it, it just completely blew me away um, on a performance in a, a, a subtext level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ma- I mean, Mads and Maria um, really um, did a, a, a great job. They, um, you know, we had written that moment in and I don't think any of us knew how strong it was going to be until we saw them do it because, um, uh, you know, uh, Mads's face is just, it says it all. And just the context of, of that moment, it really makes people think, oh man, wow, he's, he, that, that really, I think drives it home. You know, you can have the notches on the, on the map that say how many days he's been there. You can have the 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 big SOS sign, but I think the thing that really drives it home is him getting human contact and how starved he looks for it. Right. Um, human contact, stranger that doesn't speak the same language as him, yeah. that he can barely communicate with. He doesn't know if they're even going to survive, and then yeah. he finds that picture of her family and like has to have that with her. Like mm-hmm. he, it's not like she's asking for it. It's just you know he's projecting probably his own situation. Or, or something onto it. And it's just, it, it, it says so much without saying a goddamn thing. And um, it, it amazed me. Um, and the duality of that scene with the scene from later where he, you know, he believes that she has died, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm going to leave you behind. And like he makes that decision. And then the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. um, and so to, to backtrack a bit, um, sure. only because, uh, you know, <laughs> there's always a lot to there's a lot to unpack in this because there's no, dude, it, there's you're, no you're, dialogue. You're <laughs> great material to go off of here, man. I'm 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 really glad. Uh, I'm I'm early on in in learning how to be an interviewer and everything here. And, oh, uh, all and good, dude. Going. All good. So, uh, um, so you said you know how how did the team come together? You know, like it's you and Joe. You got this script. You talked about kind of how it got picked up. You know, when you know the the script got to a, a person at a production company, but you know. 
what else happened there? Like how how did it grow? How did it how did it kind of blossom to, into you know getting to Iceland that first day and start filming? It was you know? dicey. Uh, it was dicey. Uh, Joe and I were uh, YouTube kind of changed how you can make money on on the website, uh, and they changed what kind of content uh, was being uh, was being put up for you know, on the front page or being supported and being advertised the most. And, um, our kinds of content is very difficult. It's, it's, a uh, it's, excuse me, it was difficult to produce. Um, you know, it might take us three weeks to do a two minute stop motion, stop motion video. Um, so, uh, and whereas someone might do a, uh, have a gaming channel and they can hop on and it's more about the personality. Um, right. and they can kind of hop on and play a game. Um, and that's not to say that that's not work. It's just, it, you can make so much more of it, so much more of that content so much faster. I mean, you play it, a game for an hour content. Yeah. 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 And, and, and those guys work hard cause they have to do five videos uh, a week. And sometimes you might not want to play a game and you might not want to be funny. You might not want to be on, but you got to do it. Um, because that's the job. Uh, and for us, um, it takes us a lot longer to make a, a smaller amount of content and YouTube was just leaning very hard into longer, um, longer stuff. So, uh, Joe and I were actually about to, like, we were in the interviewing process of getting day jobs because we were, we were, we weren't, we weren't going to be able to, uh, succeed on YouTube anymore. And we were going to have to pack it up. We had, uh, closed our office. We had sold all of our equipment. No, um, yeah, everything got sold on Craigslist. Um, oh and my God. Yeah, and we um, we were working out of uh, Joe's garage um, a- after after we had sold our office. Uh, I mean, um, uh, left our office and sold all of our gear. So things were looking pretty that, dire. Like twenty sixteen. Uh, that's twenty sixteen. Yeah, um, and things were dire because uh, there were we had, there were four of us, um, and we had to. Uh, let go uh two of our i mean when there's only four people in a company you're all friends uh so you know telling two of your friends hey we can't do this anymore uh was really really hard and um and joe and i were just like okay we're gonna figure out day jobs and we're gonna take one last hail mary at this at this uh arctic movie and, and see if we can get this one off the ground and if we can't get it off the ground then this is then it's it's working for an ad agency or working for Google or, you know, taking, uh, some sort of, uh, some sort of tech job. Um, because it was just, we just, it wasn't sustainable on YouTube anymore. So we were in that where that's the frame of mind, uh, that we were in. And, um, we had, that was when we happened to, you know, meet that friend that had, that knew somebody that knew somebody. Uh, and you know, we took these, a meeting with a financier, uh, and they were really, really cool, had some interesting notes that, um, that really improved the script. Uh, and that's what you look for in a producer. You look for somebody that you don't want to be at odds with. You don't want to be fighting with somebody over the right. checkbook. You want to be, you know, you want to have partners that are going to make something better. Uh, so we found those guys and then it was a matter of getting Mads on board. Uh, the guys in Iceland, the production company in Iceland, um, they're the guys that do uh, Game of Thrones. Um, yep. They were on on board, but we needed to actually have the money. And in order for us to trigger the money, we needed to have Mads uh, or someone of Mads' stature. Um, and um, and we didn't have that person. And Joe was given a 15-minute Skype 
phone call uh, with Mads uh, to convince him. Uh, we managed to, our friend that knew a friend that knew somebody that knew Mads said, hey, there's a very small script because Arctic's very short uh, <laughs> that's in, on your pile. Uh, put it at the top of your pile, and um, and then the director wants to meet with you. So Mads read it and then gave Joe 15 minutes uh, to basically convince him so that, you know, me and Joe didn't have to go get day jobs at least right right away. Uh, and Joe jumped on a Skype with him, and um, and I've, I've never been more proud of, of my buddy and, and happier uh, with his uh, with his with his approach to being a director because they got on that call and he answered all of Mads's questions in such a way and with such readiness and such um, confidence that by the end of the call, which was originally scheduled for 15 minutes and it ended up being about three hours. Of um, course. Yeah. By the end of that call, uh, Mad said, you know, uh, I think I'm going to start growing my beard and we'll have our people talk. And um, we were about a, a week away. We had a, 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 I think we had two more days before our like go no go date, where it was like, okay, well the movie's not going to happen if we don't get it by Friday, and this is on a Wednesday, um, because we needed to time everything out with the winter of Iceland, um, and uh, and yeah, uh, he pulled it off. Uh, we got a call on a Wednesday that was like the movie's green lit. We need you in Iceland by Friday, um, and. Joe was, you know, Joe's married and has a two-year-old, so he was like, I need the weekend, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. just to give his wife... Say, <laughs> say sorry the whole time. <laughs> yeah, just to give his wife some kind of, uh, some kind of leg up in that, and his, uh, his wife, Sarah, is the absolute best. Uh, she's just, like, she's the, the third partner in this partnership, because, uh, she's, she's such a huge, huge support. Um, so, uh, you know, we packed our bags and we headed out to Iceland on Monday, uh, and then f- landed with no snow. <laughs> so, so, so off to a yeah. great start. So, so is that when you when you landed in Iceland? Is that the first time you met Mads and the cast in person? Uh, yeah, that was the first time we met Mads, and we went with an entirely Icelandic crew um, because uh, you know the way that the tax incentives work is that if you're hiring people from the local country, they'll give you a break on the on the um, yeah. on the expenses. So, uh, so yeah, so we, we ended up, uh, hiring all Icelandic crew and they were absolutely stellar. Uh, I, I couldn't speak more highly of those people. They, they just, they, they knew all of their jobs, top tier, high quality level. And then not only that, but they knew how to do their jobs in the snow outside all day. Uh, right. You just, you just can't be and like, you can't compete with that. So, you know, the, I, I always look at the, the technical side of movies is, is my thing. Um, you know, I'm, I know the directors, the cinematographers, the editors' names, like the back of my hand. Like, that's my, my shtick. And mm-hmm. I know that less than actors. Um, so uh, I always try to think about, you know, when you're looking at a shot, you know, w- what does it look like behind the camera? You know, yeah. when you're looking at that <laughs> shot. So how, how big was the crew? Like you're there. Uh, you're- our crew was probably about. We fluctuated between about thirty and sixty people uh, at right. any given time. Most right. of them, a lot of the money on this movie was spent on uh, everything behind the camera. Like you're saying, usually it, the the mantra is we want to put the money on screen. You know, um, but in order to get us out into the middle of nowhere, 
Um, we needed giant trucks that had uh, wheels that were as big as I am. Uh, and they would inflate and deflate like because of the, the nature of, of just driving on ice because we weren't near we weren't near roads. Um, so we were just like out in the middle of nowhere and we needed these vehicles and we had two snowmobiles and we had to be lean and mean because there was no, okay, we got to move 120 people like that. that, That's just not possible. So uh, our crew was pretty small. I mean, I got to give a a special shout out to Ani, our, uh, our sound, uh, our sound guy, because he was the only sound guy. Like our sound department was one guy and, um, and our our sound our post production sound guys w- could not stop raving about what a great job this guy did, um, and he did it just by he did it by himself. Um, so it was like That's wild. Yeah, it was a, it was a small crew, and um, and they all hustled really really well uh, and really hard, and they all really truly truly believed in the movie. Um, most of our heads of department actually flew themselves out to Cannes. Uh, when we went to uh, when we premiered a- in France, um, because they wanted to be there for it, it wasn't just another job for them. They they really were they really were proud of what they worked on, and they really cared a lot. They they should be. I'm, I'm going to say that a lot through this. But you know, if if uh, if anyone else who worked on the film hears this thing, which you know, little giddy old me hopes they do. Um, yeah. I, um, I I really mean it. It it was. It, you could tell it was a labor of love. You could tell everybody put their all in. Like you said, you spend that money behind the camera instead of, you know, quote unquote, what's on screen. But mm-hmm. if it makes it on screen that resonant and work that well, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the only critic or person that's seen it that's saying these things, right? It's, uh, sure. it's doing very well. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. We're, we're really proud of it. Um, oh, and- it should be, dude. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be proud of it if I even was involved in making 30 seconds of that thing, you know? <laughs> um, uh, so, man. Um, so Matt uh, had called the movie the most difficult shoot of his career. I heard this <laughs> in a quote. Um, anything, because obviously, you know, I don't have Mads on here right now. Wouldn't that sure. be freaking cool? Um, but could you elaborate on that at all? Is that, you know, um, like, because you're out in the middle of nowhere, right? Like yeah. You said, we're, you know, even on the technical side, on the acting side, I mean, you know, where you're, were you waking up in a, in a hotel and driving out in the middle of nowhere? Or were you, you know, passing out in a bunker you know waiting uh, for the next day to film you know what, what <laughs> bunker is closest bunker is closest to yeah, what I we were uh, what we were dealing with yeah um so for mads uh i've, I've actually i mean i've talked to uh, to mads uh, directly about the set length and i've heard him answer a question similar to that um before and i think so number one i just want to say mads is the like hardest working guy i've ever met um that dude was just so he didn't care that we weren't we didn't have the budget that star wars rogue one had we didn't have the budget that um you know dr strange had uh or casino royale he's done some giant giant movies oh yeah he kept calling this rock and roll filmmaking and uh he was just so excited he was so excited to to do this and to really get to flex and to be uh, to really test himself as an actor. And um, I think, honestly, one of the hardest things for him, th- sure, there's there's the environment, it's cold, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult to get to. But I honestly, I think that the hardest thing for him was at the beginning when he didn't have anybody, to, he kept calling it p- to play ball with. Um, he just was alone, and he felt really isolated, which was good because we needed that. 
Um, but as a performer, I think a lot of people that watch movies or watch a lot of TV uh, don't really understand that there's this rat-a-tat, there's this action, there's this energy that comes from two people playing off of each other. Oh, and, yeah. And, it, and you see it in live theater a lot, and you can, you can, you can feel it. You can feel it there. Um, and that's what you feel on set. And Mads didn't have that for a very big chunk of our, our production schedule. So he says that he's basically dealing with a paralyzed person in their sure. eyes. Yeah. Um, it's unbelievable. He, uh, he said that it, it was, it was magic. It was magic when she finally arrived and, and Maria, to her credit, like, you know, a, a lot of people might look at her at her role and they'll see, uh, well, you know, how hard can it be to just lay oh. down, lay down for, you know, three weeks. Um, but the the most important thing is that the, they were giving each other energy to to work off of. And she was giving Mads energy to, to play against. And uh, a lot of his fantastic performance comes from him having another person right there that he cares so so deeply about and um and and mario was so important to to creating that energy and um actually one of the things so they have like this little hand squeeze uh that they do to to communicate with each other because they don't they don't speak the same language um and that's something that they came up with uh as as actors that wasn't written into the script so for them as performers to really take it seriously and for Maria to really not be like, I'm just, I'm just essentially the volleyball here Uh, for Maria to be more than that. uh, I think a lot that some of that gets lost on, on some people that are more cynical when they, when they look at uh, her performance. But I think, uh, I think that that was that extra degree of magic that, that we needed for people, for, for the audience to care and for, for Mads to care. Uh, Well, yeah, I want like, just as you said Mads is the everyman or not the everyman but like a the like blank slate man to like put yourself onto like you don't watch that movie as Mads is surviving you watch that movie as you're right there with him um gee I want to know and that's that's my favorite I I I like movies the most when they lead me wanting to know more and Mm -hmm. not like in a you know that they're badly written way but in a oh man I could spend another year with that character you yeah, they always I mean? say end the end the movie. You'd rather end a movie too soon. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to overstay so, your welcome. I want to know who in Mad's life, who in who in Overguard's life, is he supplementing um, Maria for? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Who yeah. whose face is he seeing? You know, who is he? Where's his loss? You know, the yeah. person he hasn't got to see. You know, in forever, because that's how I always felt about that. Is is like because she is only really able to communicate with emotion and with mm-hmm. human contact and without, you know, the things that we're more used to, um, the dialogue, um, um, it, he's, he, you know, he kind of creates a relationship there of, of, you know, the mutual beneficial, you know, they're there living for each other. He has something yeah. to live, for again. you know, cause you, you kind of get the feeling that he was, you know, not saying that he was giving up, but you know, with the fish catching and everything, he was kind of, he was surviving. Yeah, you know, he but wasn't I, living. That's the that's long, the thesis. How long can you go on like that, yeah. right? And how close was he to give up? You know, and it, it, everything, the new map, so he has, you know, more of a stretch. How was it as a writer? You, you said how how long was the script, Ryan? When it. Um, the, the, so I think a, a, a script is is something that uh, a, a lot of people, even people that are kind of 
just have a cursory knowledge of of what the of what the industry is like. Uh, you know, you look at a script and you say, ah, it's about a page a minute, and that's usually the rule. Um, when it's dialogue. <laughs> when 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 there's dialogue. Uh, this script is a script that probably Joe and I are the only people on earth that could have read it and known how long the movie was going to be because, um, our, uh, our AD on, the on, on Arctic would always say, um, uh, you know, in, in Gone with the Wind, there's one line that says Atlanta burns and, and it's two words and it could be a sequence that's 45 minutes long, you know, um, <laughs> because, it's 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 Atlanta burns. It's burnt. It's being burned down in the war. And um, and, you know, we had to look at our script and we had to know, OK, this one line is going to take us five minutes and this three pages of description is going to be one shot. Um, so our script was probably I think the first draft of it was probably around 70 pages. Yeah, okay. uh, typically, typically a feature is going to be between 90 and 120. Um, when we, you know, wanted to make our producers a little bit more comfortable with it, uh, and make sure that we kind of had it paced out better on the page. Uh, I think the script that we ended up shooting was somewhere around 82. Um, but it was very friendly white space, like very easy to read. Um, because there was, uh, you know, there's only, <laughs> there's only so much you can do when it's like, okay, he's walking again, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. A... No, but so. So then as, as a writer, you know, you've got this vision in your head, right? I mean, I, I've, I've written stories. Um, I'm, I'm more the, the visual. I'm, I'm more the filmer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's amazing to read a script and, you know, work with somebody else and kind of have you describe what you think they're writing and have, you know, just one other guy tell you, oh, my God, you get it. Um, yeah. What's it like to see actors um, again, who you know, you you went from doing this YouTube stuff. I, is it is it safe to say the Mads is the biggest actor you've worked with so far? <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah. Or, uh, uh, in, you know, in fairness to the other actors, because I've worked with a lot of great actors that may no, just no, not have the uh, the financial success that Mads has had, yeah, or the no, box office success, I should like, say. Ex- exactly. But you know, I, I I have to curb myself too because you know I've been sure. telling people you hear this guest that I'm going to have, and it's like shit. Am I just going to make everybody else I've had feel like crap? <laughs> but yeah. That, that, but that's what I mean in saying, you know, like, you know, you went from, you know, quick YouTube and, you know, smaller concept narratives to this, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, very different than what you were doing before kind of oh, thing. Sure. So to, yeah. see, to see two actors add something to your story, like that hand squeeze, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you even have time. Like, obviously, this, you said this was like, how long did it take to film this thing? 19 days <laughs> so do you even have time to process that uh definitely when we were done like, um yeah thinking right so kind of you're kind of like bouncing off of each other and leading off of each other's energy right so but yeah, like you kind of immediately become peers and you have yeah. to you can't have too much reverence um because you got to get to work you guys are working together and you can you know uh you know totally compliment each other and all of that business after. Uh, but we kind of like the very first time I met Mads, uh, we were sitting in his hotel. Uh, one of the few moments that we were indoors and warm, uh, throughout this entire process. And, uh, and, uh, he looked at me and Joe had, uh, had gone to the bar to grab a drink and, and, and Mads looked at, at me and we were going over a scene and he looked at me and he put his hand on the table 
And he looked me right in the eye and he goes, it's going to be okay. And I was like, holy shit. Because uh, he was just saying the line from the movie. <laughs> and I was like, I, it's it's like a handful of words. like who, And it's like, it barely is anything. It's barely a thought. But it also, at the same time, I knew the context. And, and I looked at this guy and I believed it. And it was the truth. And it was a, a unique thought coming from this person that actually came from me. And uh, it was really surreal because I was like, oh, man, this is going to be good. Like he's gonna he's gonna crush this, uh, so I felt really really confident that 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 and then him just super deeply understanding who the character was, um, it was surreal and it made me it just made me feel really confident that we were gonna make a good movie, um, and I was really excited because I had never done anything like that before. I'd never had anybody, um, you know, of that. Uh, that level uh, even read a script of mine, let alone say, you know what, I want to put my career on the line right here with yours. And oh. uh, and then at the end, when we were done shooting, I'm also the editor. And um, I said to Mads, you know, I, I hope I can honor the performance that you've given us because it was absolutely outstanding. And uh, he grabbed me by both shoulders and he said to me, I, I have the utmost confidence and it's never even been a second thought to me. And, uh, and, he, and he grabbed me and he said, he said thank you so much. He, he thanked me. He said, thank you so much for letting me bring this, uh, this character to life. And, you know, uh, and we have like a special, a special friendship now and a special bond. Um, you know, he got to meet my parents uh, at, the, uh, at the New York premiere. And, uh, you know, he just, you know, he talked my parent, he talked me up to my parents, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, cause you know, they had never seen all this glitz with my YouTube stuff. So, uh, it was surreal. I think the, I think something that might even supersede that as, as being surreal is the fact that, uh, I was, <laughs> I sat down, uh, when I got to set and I saw a, uh, a, an airplane in the middle of a field like a snow field and i could it, it looked exactly like it did in my imagination and there wasn't like a crane around and there were no trucks it was just a plane in the middle of nowhere and i was like this is here because it was in my imagination like a month ago yep. and it, it just totally blew my mind like i was like somebody put this airplane on a on a ship and they sent it over to us and then we reassembled it in the middle of nowhere. I'm doing my best not to curse because this is like, it was a, uh, it was really uh, unbelievable. I just am <laughs> curse. We, yeah. we luckily somehow haven't yet, but you can. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just, it blew my mind, man. It was just unbelievable to see an airplane out in the, like a crashed airplane out in the middle of, Right. Out in the middle of the Iceland wilderness, and I was like, well, "How? How am I here right now?" And then my, other people my, believed my it. Standing up, dude, over over this stuff. This is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. It was nuts. So, so that that actually brings me brings me to a good question. So, did you guys? This all happened real quick, like you said. So, yeah. was there like location scouting that happened before you got there, or did you guys get to Iceland and then kind of go around and go like you know? Because obviously, the location scout is something that happens. Yeah. Um, were you guys just there and going, okay, yeah, we got, you know, a few days, I guess we're shooting that here, <laughs> you know, or, or did that, I gotta of give, I gotta give the credit to, um, Aner, our, um, our locations manager, 
he does a lot of that for Game of Thrones, and this dude is just a beast. Um, he knew all of these places that were going to... Um, What's funny about uh, uh, Chris? I'll send you sometime. Uh, I'll send you some of the behind the scenes uh, video because what's what's really interesting is that would if, make my that would make my world, dude. It's it's absolutely nuts because there is these spots that Aner found for us, and it's like we need to. We always needed to be close to the road because uh, we basically shot in two locations. One that was about forty minutes outside of Reykjavik. Uh, which is the capital of Iceland, and then the other was about three hours into the uh, highlands, which was uh, not accessible by road. Um, so this this place that was about uh, 40 minutes from the city, which in Iceland, if you drive about five minutes out of the city, you're in the middle of nowhere. Um, but if you go 40 minutes out, uh, there's this area where we we it's funny, you look and you look to your right, and this is four different scenes of the movie. And you look to your left, and that's f four or five other scenes of the movie. And then you turn around, and any direction that you point the camera, it's now an entirely unique environment. And, um, you know, I, I was actually, I just happened to be going through some of those old, that old footage recently. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, yeah, those two things are right next to each other. But in the movie, they feel like they're like 100 miles apart from each other. But it's just, you just need to look left, and that's you'll see awesome. Behind um, the scenes, behind the scenes is my favorite part of of this kind of stuff. I've got, please after this go when you have a chance and look at that stuff of the movie. I think it's Ithaca Morns is the movie we made, the zombie movie. Mm. But we have we have an hour or some some crazy amount of behind the scenes footage that I put up of that movie that like I hadn't watched in fifteen years. Mm -hmm. you know? or whatever or like so i'm sitting there watching it and the cool thing is we filmed the movie in black and white nice and the behind the scenes is all in color so oh wow yeah that's cool makeup and everything that we did in it and, and it, it just it you know and and i can you know whether it's 15 years or whether it's just you know right after a 19 day shoot like that i can just imagine going back and looking at that and having that time capsule even more than having the movie right having that yeah. time capsule of putting yourself in the moment you have been listening to part one of my interview with Ryan Morrison, writer, director, and executive producer of the film Arctic. The second half of this interview will be available in a couple weeks, so stay tuned.